0: Ashley Brock, reading Diana Palmer's book, True Blue, Chapter Two. Dolores Ortiz, he said. He asked, the paring knife posed in midair. That was my mother's maiden name. I know, I mean, my mother might have been romantically involved with Amelia Mockino. I've got that impression, Barbara said, nodding, but I wasn't close enough to hear the entire conversation. I just got bits and pieces of it. He Well, my father died around the time I was born, so it's not impossible that she met Marquino in Mexico, although it's a big country. <laughs> he lived in the state of Sonero, She pointed out, that's where Marquino had his truck farm. They said. He finished giving the tomato. Reached for another. Wouldn't that be a coincidence if my mother actually knew it? <laughs> yes, it would. Well, it was a long time ago, he said. and she's dead, and I never knew him, so what good would it do for them to dig up an old romance now? I have no idea. It bothered me a little. I mean, you're my son. Yes, I am, he answered. I love it when people get all flustered and start babbling when you introduce me. You're blonde and fair, and I'm dark and obviously Hispanic. You're gorgeous, my baby. I just wish women would stop crying on your shoulder about other men and start trying to marry you. Uh, Chance would be a fine thing. I carry a gun, he said with mock court. She was out. All off duty policemen carry guns. Yes, but I might shoot somebody accidentally, and it would get in the way if I tried to hug somebody. <laughs> I got it. Some female mentioned that. He said, No, a public defender, he said. She thought I was cute, but she doesn't date men who carry. It's a principle, she said. She hates guns. "'I hate guns, too, but I keep a shotgun in the closet in case I ever need to defend myself.' Barker pointed out, "'I'll defend you.' "'You work in San Antonio,' she said. "'If you're not here, I have to defend myself. "'By the time Haynes Carson gets to my place, I'd be, well, not in any good condition if somebody tried to harm me.' "'That had happened once,' Rick recalled with anger. "'A man he arrested after he'd been released had gone after Rick's adopted mother for revenge.' Just a chance that Haines Carson had stopped by when he was off duty in his unmarked truck to ask her about catering event. The ex-confident had piled out of his car and came right up on the porch with a drawn gun in violation of parole and banged on the door demanding that Barbara come outside. Haines had come out instead, disarmed him, cuffed him, and taken him right to jail. The man was now serving another term in prison for assault on a police officer, trespassing, attempted assault. Possessing of a firearm in violation of parole and resisting arrest. Barbara had testified at his trial, so Rick should Richard said, I hate having you in danger because of my job. It was only the one time she said, confirming him, comforting him. It could have been somebody who carried a grudge because their apple pie wasn't served with ice cream or something. she's my dream on. You even make the ice cream you serve with it. Your pies are out of this world. Don't you have an in-house submit seminar coming up at work, she asked. He nodded. Why don't you take a couple of pies back to you? That would be nice. Thank you. My pleasure. Does Gwen like apple pie? He turned us there. Gwen is a colleague. I never, never date colleagues. She's like, Okay. He went back to work on the tomatoes. This could turn into a problem. His mother, well meaning and loving, nevertheless was determined to get him married. That was one area in which he wanted to do his own prospecting. And never in this lifetime did he want to end up with someone like Gwen, who had two left feet and dressed sense of a Neanderthal woman. He laughed at the idea of her and Bearskins carrying a spear, but he didn't share the joke with his mother. When he went to work the next day it was qualifying time on the firing ring. Rick was a good shot and he kept excellent care of his service weapon, but the testing was one of the things he really hated about police work. His lieutenant Cal Hollister could outshoot any man in the precinct. He scored a hundred percent regularly. Rick could usually manage in the nineties, but never perfect score. He always seemed to do the qualifying when the lieutenant was doing his and his ego suffered. Today when away all also showed up. Rick tried not to groan out loud. Gwen would drop her pistol, accidentally kill the lieutenant, and Rick would be prosecuted for manslaughter. Why are you groaning like that? Hollister asked, curtly as he checked the clip for his forty five and preparation for action. Just a stray thought, sir. Nothing important. His eyes went involuntarily to Gwen, who was also loading their own pistol on the firing range. Shooters were eye, wore eye protection and ear protection. They customarily loaded only six bullets into the clip of the automatic, and this was done by the time they got into position to fire. The pistol would be held at low or medium ready position after being carefully drawn from its snap holster for firing, with the safety arm. The pistol, even unloaded, would never be pointed in any direction except that of the target, and the trigger finger would never rest on the trigger. When in firing position, the safety would be released, and the shooter would fire at the target using either a weaver, modified weaver, or isosceles shooting stance. One of the most difficult parts of shooting, and one of the most important to master, was trigger pull. The pressure extended on the trigger had to be perfect in order to place a shot correctly. There were graphs on the firing range that held participation check the efficiency of the trigger pull and helped to improve it. Rich was improving, but his lieutenant constantly... Showed him up on the gun range, and it made him uncomfortable. He tried not to practice or qualify when the other man was around. Unfortunately, he always seemed to be on the range when Rick was. Hollister, following Rick's case, Gwen, he knew, as Rick did, that she had some difficulty with coordination. He pursed his lips, his black eyes danced, as he glanced covertly, going, It's okay, Marquis. Were insured, he said under his breath. Rick cleared his throat and tried not to laugh. Hollister moved onto the firing line, thick blonde hair gleaming like pale honey in the sunlight. He glanced at grin, Quinn, ready, detective? He drawled, pulling the heavy ear protectors on over his hair. Quinn gave him an eye smile. Ready when you are, sir. The range master moved into position, indicated that everything was ready, and gave the signal to fire. Hollister, confident and relaxed, chuckled, aimed at the target, and proceeded to blow the living hell out of it. Rick, watching Gwen weirdly, saw something incredible happen next. Gwen snapped into a modified weaver position, barely even aimed, and threw six shots in the center of the target. With pinpoint accuracy, his mouth flew open, took the clip out of her automatic, Checked the cylinder and waited for the range master to check the score. <sighs> Cast away, he said eventually, and hesitated. One hundred percent. Rick and the lieutenant stared at each other. Lieutenant Hollister, the officer, continued, and was obviously trying not to smile. Ninety-nine percent. What the hell, Hollister brizzled. I hit the center. Missed, sir, by hair, the officer replied with a twinkle in his eyes. Sorry, Hollister let out a ferocious bad word, when marched right up to him and glared at him from Pelgreen's eyes. Sir, I find that word offensive and I'd appreciate it if you would refrain from using it in my presence, she said curtly. Hollister's high cheekbones actually flushed. Rick tensed, waiting for the explosion, but Hollister didn't erupt. His black eyes smiled down at the rookie detective. Poor <sighs> taken detective. He said in his deep voice was even pleasant. I apologize. When swallowed, she was almost shaking. Thank you, sir. She turned and walked out. Now, bad shooting, by the way. He commented as he moved the, removed the clip from his own pistol. Thanks. He glanced at Rick, who was still gaping, and almost made a smart remark, but she thought better of it. In time. Rick let out the breath he'd been holding. <laughs> she trips over her own feet. He remarked. Well, that was some damn fine shooting. It was, Lieutenant Greenfield said. You can never figure people, can you, Marquise? True, sir. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> later that day, Rick noted two dignified men as he was walking past his office. They glanced at him, smoked to one another, and hesitated. And hesitated. One gestured down the hall quickly, and they kept walking. Wonder in the world was going on. Rogers came into his office a few minutes later and oh, Odd thing. What? He said. His eyes on his computer screen where he was running a case for the Vicarbonate. Did you see those two suits? Yes, they hesitated outside my office. Who are they, Feds? Yes, State Department. He burst out laughing as he looked at her with large dancing brown eyes. They think I'm illegal and they're here to bust me. Stop that smoke. Sorry, couldn't resist it. He turned her. We have high level immigration cases all the time where the State Department gets involved. Yes, mostly we deal with the enforcement branch of the Department of Immigration and Naturalization with ICE. Or we deal with the DEA and drug cases. I know that. These guys aren't from Austin. They're from DC, the capital. That's right. They've been talking to the lieutenant all morning. They've taken him to lunch, too. <laughs> What's going on? Any idea? She shook her head. Only that gossip says they're on the Makino case. Yes, he's wanted for kidnapping. He didn't add what Barbara had told him that his own birth mother might have once known mocking in the past. He's not in the country. And how would you know that? Rick asked was for another psychic insight, he added, because she had a really unusual sixth sense of accuracy. No, I ran into the cash driver at the courthouse. He was up here on the case. Our police chief from Jagasville, he announced. The very safe, he mentioned that Jason Pendleton's foreman is on temporary leave because of House. Right? Rick recalled the name of the foreman. He went into Mexico to retrieve Grace Pendleton when she was kidnapped by those men for ransom. Yes, it seems the general took a liking to him, had him investigated, and offered him a job. Rick Excuse me. That's what I said when Grice told me. She's said like, the general really does have style. He said somebody had to organize his mercs when he goes in to retake his country. great being a former minister in the army, seemed a logical choice. <laughs> his country is very over his nice name since it sits on the Amazon River bordering Colombia, Peru, and Bolivia. Spanish for barrier I didn't know that only having I didn't know that only having completed two years of college Spanish who like literally made a face out anyway it seems Grange like the idea of being a crusader for demo- democracy and freedom and human rights so he took the job he's in Mexico at the moment hoping the general come up with a plan of attack <laughs> with Ebscott offering candidates I don't doubt I got it he's got the cream of the crop as is counter terrorism training center in Jacobsville as far as the Mercs go. The general is gathering them from everywhere. He's a couple of former SAS from Great Britain. One I terror from South America named Rook. Mer- his nickname is Dead I I know him. A- Me too, Robert said. He's a pill, isn't he? Remembered to be the natural, the natural son of K C Cantor, who was one of the most successful ex Mercs Yes, Cantor became a billionaire after he gave up the lifestyle. He has a daughter who married Dr. Dr. Mika Steele in Jacobsville and a godchild who married into the ranching Callister family up in Montana. (laughs) Where's the general getting the money to finance his revolution? Remember that he gave Gracie back without any payment? Whether he nabbed Jason Pilton for ransom and Gracie paid it with money from her trust fund? Forgot about that, Rick said. It ran to six figures, so he bankrolled. We hear he also charged what's left of the Fuentes cartel for protection while he was sharing space with them over the border. Charged, cheap drug lords rent in their own turf, Rick asked, and getting it, the you general know, has a pretty fearsome reputation. She added. She laughed. He's also incredible handsome. She mused. I've seen photographs of him. They say he was a charm. He has a charming personality. Reverse women and plays a guitar and seems like an angel. A man of many talents, not the least of which is inspiring troops. Roger sighed. But it has to be unsettling for the State Department, especially since the Mexican government is up to their arms about having Mokano recruit Mercs to invade a solitary nation in South America while living in their country. Why are they protesting to us if we aren't helping out? Rick pointed out, he's on our border. If they want us to do something about Machino, they could do something about the military drug cartels running over our borders with automatic weapons to protect their drug runners. Chance would be a fine thing. I guess so. None of that explains why the State Department is coming up our office. He's added, this is San Antonio. The border is that way. He pointed out a long, long drive that way. I know. That's what puzzled me. So I pumped back information. What did he tell you? He didn't tell me anything. <laughs> she grabbed from me grimly. So I had my oldest son pump his best friend, Sheriff Haynes, Carson, for information. Did you get anything from him? She bit her a little lip. Bit. Bits and pieces. She gave him a workbook. She can not tell him what she found out. She'd been sworn to secrecy, But nothing really concrete. No, I'm sorry to say. I suppose they'll tell us eventually. I suppose so. When is this huge invasion of Prairie going to take place? Any timeline on that? None that presented itself, she said. But it's going to be a gala occasion, from what I hear. The State Department will have good reason to be concerned. They can't back a revolution. One of the letter agency could help with. One of the letter agencies could help with that, of course, without public acknowledgment. <laughs> letter agencies refer to government bureaus like the CIA, which Rick assumed would have been in the forefront of, the, of any assistance they could legally give to help install. A democratic government friendly to the United States and South America. Kill Raven used to bring belong to the CIA. Maybe I could ask him if he knows anything. I'd keep my nose out of it for the time being, Rogers cautioned. Foreseeing trouble had it tried to interfere at the state of the game. We'll know soon enough. I guess so. He might say her answer. Now, hear about what happened in the firing range this morning? I wrote, but did I ever... The whole department's talking about it. Our rookie detective outshot the lieutenant by a whole point. Rick can't imagine that. She falls in the pot of plants and trips over crime scenes. Evidence. But she can shoot like an old West Gunslinger. <laughs> he shook his head. I thought i passed that that when she started firing that automatic. It was beautiful. She never even seemed to aim. Just snapped off the shots and hit in the center every single time. The lieutenant's a good loser, though. Roger's coming. He brought a single pink rose and laid it on her desk after lunch. Rick's eyes narrowed expression expressing irritable. Did he now? <laughs> the lieutenant was a widower. Nobody knew how he lost his wife. He never spoke of her. He didn't even date, as far as anyone knew. And here he was giving flowers to Gwen, who was young and innocent and impersonable. I said, do you think that could be constructed as sexual harassment? He gave her a flower. Well, yes, but he wouldn't have given a man a flower, would he? I'd have given Killraven a flower after he nabbed the purple blindsided out of me in the alley and left me for dead. He said tongue in cheek She sighed. she felt in her pocket for the unopened pack of cigarettes she kept there. Pulled it out, looked at it with sad eyes. I miss smoking. Kids made me quit. <laughs> You're still carrying around cigarettes, he explained. Well, it's comforting having them in my pocket. I mean, I wouldn't actually smoke one, of course, unless we had a nuclear attack or something. Then it would be okay. He burst out laughing. You're of old Rogers. Only on Mondays, she said after a minute. She went so much. I have to get back to work. Let me know if you find out anything else, okay? Of course I will, she smiled. She felt a little twinge of guilt as she walked out of his office. She wished she could tell him the truth, or at least prepare him for what she knew was coming. He had a surprise in store, probably not a very nice one. But I made corned beef and cabbage while we we're growing when Rick phoned her Friday afternoon. Noon to say he wasn't coming home that night. I know it's my favorite and I'm sorry, he said, but we've got to stay out. I have to go. It's my squad. He said Gwen's on it and she'll probably knock over a trash can and we'll get burnt. You have to think positively, she has to say, you could bring her home with you tomorrow. Corn beef will still be good and I'll cook more cabbage. She's a colleague, repeated, I don't date colleagues. Does your lieutenant date colleagues, she asked with me, because I heard he left her a single rose on her desk. What a lovely, romantic man. He <laughs> gnashed his teeth and hoped that sound didn't carry. He was tired of hearing that story. It had gone around all at work all week. You could put a rose on her desk. If I did, it would be attached to a pink slip. He snapped. She gasped. Hesitated to turn off the phone. It was the first time he ever snapped at her. Rick groaned and dialed the number back and rang and Rick, Come on, please. He spoke into the business. He said, well, I'm sorry. Come on, let me apologize. Yes, but rest. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to snap at you. I really didn't. I'll come home for lunch tomorrow and eat corn, beef, and cabbage. I'll even eat crow. Raw. There was a silence on the other end. I'll bring a rose. She laughed. Okay, you're forgiven. I'm really sorry. Things have been hectic at work, but that's no excuse for being rude to you. (laughs) No, it's not, but I'm not mad. You're a nice mother. (laughs) You're a nice son. I love you. I'll see you at lunch tomorrow. Have a good night. Yeah, look careful, one She said, Oh, even rude sons are hard to come by these days. She had it. I'll change my ways, honest. See you. You. They hung upside heavily. He couldn't imagine why he'd been so short with his own mother. Perhaps he needed a vacation. He only took time off when he was threatened. He loved his job. Being sergeant of an 8th detective squad in the homicide unit in the murder slash attempted murder detail was heady and satisfying. He assigned lead detectives to cases, reviewed cases to make sure everything necessity was done, and kept up with what. Seemed like tons of paperwork, as well as reporting to the lieutenant on caseloads. But maybe a little time off would improve his temper. He talked to the lieutenant about it next week. He for now. He had the work to do. Gwen had been assigned as lead detective on the college student's murder case downtown. It was an odd sort of case. The woman had been stabbed by a person of persons unknown in her own apartment with all the doors locked and the windows shut. There were no signs of a struggle. She was a pretty young woman with no current boyfriend, no apparent enemies who led a quiet life and didn't party. Gwen wanted very much to solve the case. He told Rick that Alice Fowler had found prints on a digital camera that featured an out-of-place man in the background. Gwen was checking that out. She was really working hard on the mystery, but in the meantime, she'd been pressed into service to help Rick with a stakeout of a man wanted for shooting a police officer in a traffic stop. The officer lived... But he'd be in rehab for months. It entailed that the shooter was hiding out in a low-class apartment building downtown with some help from an associate, but they couldn't find him there, so Rick decided to stake out the place and try to catch him. The fact that it was a Friday night meant that the younger, single detectives were trying to find ways not to get involved. Even the night detectives had excuses, pending cases that they simply couldn't spare time away from. So Rick ended up with Gwen and one young and eager patrol officer, Ted Sims, from the Patrol South Division, who volunteered, hoping to find favor with Rick and maybe get a chance of climbing the ladder, and working as a detective one day. They were set up in a ratty apartment downtown, observing a suspect across the alley in another run-down apartment building. They had all the lights off television scope, a video camera, listening device, warrants to loudly, listening devices, and as much black coffee as three detectives could drink in an evening, which was quite a lot. <laughs> I, wish we had a, I wish we had a pizza. Officer Sims. <laughs> so do I, with the smell we carry and the perp would know we were watching him. Maybe we could buy the pizza outside his door, and he'd go nuts, smelling it, and rush out to grab it, and we could grab him. Sims, he was... What do you have in that bottle besides water? Quinn asked with twinkling green eyes. It's water, said Look at this musical beer. Shut up, Mark. Not, I'm dying for one. <laughs> you could ask Detective Cassidy to investigate the beer to look the local convenience store. Compensated six pack for the pharmacy investigation unit. Sims jerked. Nobody would have known. We could threaten the owner with health violations or something. Quinn gave him a cold look. We don't steal. Marquise gave him the, the more vicious ever. He was like, Hey he said, Oh no i was just kidding. I'm not laughing. She turned on him. Neither am I. Marquise seconded. His Face was hard with suppressing. I don't want to hear talk like that from a sworn police officer. Sorry, he says, Well, I'm really bad joke. I didn't mean it. i actually I don't mean I'd actually do it, glimpse Rogue. Sounds we're very young. I'm missing that new science fiction show I got hooked on. She wrote make it's making me twitchy. Watch that one too, Rick. But it's not bad. You could re- you could record it. Some yes, don't you have a TVR. She said, I'm poor. I can't afford one. Clearly, we work for one of the best-paying departments in the Southwest. T. Rattle, we have a benefits package, expensive accounts, access to excellent vehicles. I have a monthly rent bill, a monthly insurance bill, a car payment, utility payments, and I have to buy bullets from my gun. She muttered, who can't afford luxury? She glared at him. I haven't had a new suit in six months. This one looks like moths have nestled in it already. Your gobbled, surely you've got more than one suit, Caswell. Two suits, twelve blouses, six pairs of shoes, and a sort of other things. She said, mix and match, and I was sick. Of all of it, I want hot take a tour. Gonna look with that for a moment. I'll walk through it. Hey. Hey, this is the guy we're looking for, Sim Hey, is this the guy we're looking for? Sim's asked suddenly, looking through the telescope. End of chapter two.